Get up on your feet. Let's find somebody and tell them good morning.
Before the world was made, before you spoke it to be, you were the King of kings. Yes, you were, yes, you were, and now you're reigning still, enthroned above all things. Angels and saints cry out, we join them as we sing, glory to God, oh, glory to God, glory to God forever. Carpenter's Way. I hope you are having a good week. Thanksgiving's over, and that means we are neck deep in red and green. Merry Christmas, everybody. Uh, and uh, I just uh, want to encourage you that we are neck deep in our Christmas season schedule. So uh, we put that in the worship guide under upcoming holiday events. There's an insert in there. So please take note of that. Um, 
We had a blast Friday night at White Christmas, the movie, and it was so much fun. I was surprised at how many people had not seen the movie. If you haven't, just so you know, National Lampoon Christmas Vacation may be funnier, but it's not nearly as good. So see some of the old movies and what, whatnot, but we got another one coming up. Hey, would you take some time and please review the upcoming activities that we got at Carpenter's Way during this season? I want to remind you of our family Christmas on the 18th. This is a great day to invite family and friends in. Um, as uh, it's a totally different service. We've got uh, children going to be singing. We've got a sketch that uh, Nancy has written, so we'll have some drama and uh, lots of Christmas music. That is Sunday the 18th, and now I want you to take a deep breath because I'm going to tell you about Sunday the 25th. Uh, I know a secret. If we have service on Sunday morning, December 25th, I'm going to be here with just our team and and I get that. We want you to be home celebrating with your family. And uh, as the calendar lies, every seven years, so this will be the second time since we've been here, we do things different in our Christmas Eve service. And I know at first this is going to be shocking if you don't know, but you'll, you'll grow to it. Let's be honest. Kids don't sleep till midnight anyway on Christmas Eve. So we're here to help you with that. We want to ring in. Uh, every time Christmas falls on, on Sunday... We decided as elders a few years back that what we were going to do was we were going to ring that, that season in. So what we're going to do this year is at 11.15, we're going to start our Christmas Eve service. It'll be 45 minutes long, lots of music. We'll have the staff up here leading and choruses, and there'll be some videos, and I'm going to do a devotion. And we will end at midnight. And uh, we encourage you to bring your kids. Everybody's in here. There's no child care. Bring them in their PJs. Uh, just have dinner. Go look at lights. Come join us. Uh, we want you here that night. It's going to be so much fun together as a family, you guys. But 11.15 till midnight, and uh, your kids are not an excuse because even though mine are older, I remember what Christmas Eve was like before that. So uh, come join us. Uh, and at midnight, we will leave with song and uh, sing Silent Night and send you home. And that Christmas morning is going to be phenomenal. And then the following week, actually, on Sunday morning is January 1st, which means that we're going to compete with the Rose Bowl. Or the, not the Rose Bowl football game, but the parade. So what we're going to do is we're going to have normal service that morning, no Bible study, but we're going to play it behind me so when I'm boring, you can watch it. So I just lied, but if it gets you here, the ends justifies the means. But anyway, that Sunday, that, that Sunday, that Sunday morning, we'll have, we're just going to have our morning service from 9.30 to 10.30, and what we're going to do is we're going to have communion that morning. We're going to commit our, that year to the Lord as a church family. We're going to pray together. We're going to sing together. And then we're going to go home and start the new year with our family. Uh, and uh, so that's our schedule for this uh, upcoming month. And uh, I sure hope you'll be involved. I know it's a, a little different than what you might be used to. But uh, we're pretty excited about it. And we want you to be involved. This last Wednesday night, we decked our halls. And I think between Jeff doing the lights and putting our trees up and then our team we had about 20, 25 people here Wednesday night that helped us put trees out there and the wreaths on the wall. We so appreciate all you guys did. This is our home. This is not Carpenter's Way Church building. We are Carpenter's Way Church. This is our home, and I want to thank you for helping us decorate it. Uh, one thing that I do want to highlight this year is you'll, you know uh, from walking through here, maybe you ignore them, but on that wall outside uh, in the welcome area, there's a piece of art that usually that changes several times during the year. Uh, this one was designed by Wendy Douglas, and it is phenomenal, you guys, for Christmas. And I want to encourage you. You'll see it says he gets it, and, and you'll walk by and go, oh, the manger, that's cool. I want you to stop this year sometime, this season, and I want you to actually read the words that she had put on there. What does God get? What does Jesus Christ understand? 
you'll be surprised at some of the things that we took from Scripture where, where Jesus gets it, gets your pain, gets your frustration, gets your fears. And uh, you'll read through there, and I think it'll remind you of some things and remind you of the significance of Christmas. So I just encourage you to stop by and look at that. We're going to leave it up for more than Christmas, but you need to take a look at that. Our job here as shepherds is to remind you that it's better than you think. God gets it. He loves you. He's proud of you. And uh, yeah, you screw up, but just like your kids screw up, he looks at you and he goes, they may be bad kids, but they are my kids. And uh, so I want to remind you of that and as much as we can over the next few weeks. I want to encourage you to invite people with you. Uh, you know, just, just invite them in, even if they don't believe in God. Everybody loves Christmas. This is a wonderful time to invite folks in, and we'll do our best as a church family to reach out. And if you see somebody around you that you don't recognize, Carpenter's Way family, uh, here's how you ask them and how you don't make a fool of yourself like I do. Don't walk up to them and say, is this your first time here? Because everybody says, no, I've been here for three years. I knew that. Just kidding. Lie. What happens is just walk up and say, hey, have you, uh, you, know, have you been with us long? And, uh, and then when they say it's their first time, hug them and thank them for being here and invite them to dinner and, and uh, make sure that they give as the plate goes by and all the stuff churches do during this season. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. So uh, anyway, that's, that's all about Christmas I, I want to mention. Uh, our, our widow women, I want to remind you uh, in the worship guide is an insert about a December 15th. Uh, it's a Thursday afternoon at noon. There is a lunch for you and uh, that some of our ladies, it's our widow's ministry, some of our Bible studies put on for you. So please be a part of that, the information in there. Um, Mark Strong is going to come up and make an announcement at this time, and then we'll have the, our offering. Good morning. Uh, if you'll look in your worship guide, you'll see that this Sunday and next Sunday are the last opportunities we have to participate in the staff love offering. And it's really the only time during the year that we give to our staff and say thank you to them for their ministry to us throughout the year. So if you'll look, there's a love offering envelope in the worship guide. If you feel led, just participate and put that in the plate either this Sunday or next Sunday. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Mark. I'm going to ask the ushers to come forward at this time uh, for our offering. If you're visiting with us, we want you to know how glad we are you're here. And our hope and our prayer is that you fall in love with Jesus. We certainly want you to like us. That's just normal. But, man, we want you to love Jesus because we, we can make your life better. Jesus Christ can make your eternal life better. So, uh, so we hope that you fall in love with him, and we're glad you're here. And if we can help you, if we can encourage you, listen, we know science says that this Christmas season is not only the happiest season of the world but the year, but also the most depressing season of the year for some. And uh, if you need prayer or encouragement, we're here for that for you. And uh, we love you, uh, and we want to encourage you that the reason this season is awesome isn't just because of the music and because of the colors and the lights. It's awesome because we can have peace with God through Jesus Christ. That's why it's awesome. So no matter how you feel, the facts keep us hopeful. The facts keep us hopeful. So uh, I just want to say that I'm trying to think if there's anything else. Uh, oh, I do have one more thing. Somebody asked me about it this week. For those of us who are new to Carpenter's Way, we have a tradition here that, uh, let me explain, and I will explain it more in the coming weeks. You'll notice by the coffee bar that there's a big white box, and in there it looks like a post office. That's what it is. Uh, some of you ex still like to exchange paper Christmas cards. A lot of people do it digitally now. But if you do that, uh, and you will, uh, and it's somebody in the church, you bring that card and you slide it in the box with the last name in it. Uh, and then you take that amount for the stamp, 
and you put it, uh, you can put it in the, uh, uh, give it to missions. That's what we do with that. So that's what that's for, um, and we encourage you to make use of that if you're able. Also, check periodically your, the last, your last name in case people give you a card or whatnot, but uh, that's what that's for, and uh, we can use it to uh, glorify the Lord and reach people for the gospel. I think that does it. You've got a worship guide. Take, make use of it. Let's pray and commit our time back to Jesus Christ. Father, we love you. Um, which is cool, but, but Father, we're really, really thankful that you love us first. And uh, even when we don't love you, even when we do our own thing, you keep loving us. And uh, Lord, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the men and women in this room. I thank you for the men and women across this world who are watching on the Internet right now, some live, some recorded. We pray your blessings upon them. I pray your blessings upon the people in this room. Father, this world needs hope beyond politics. Uh, there is no hope in politics. Uh, and, but there is eternal hope in Jesus Christ. So I ask you now, Father, to take this morning's service and use it for your glory. I pray that the time and the word would encourage your, your children. I pray for those who are hurting right now, that today would be the day of their salvation if they don't know you. And if they're your kids, I pray that today would be a day of encouragement. Father, thank you for allowing us to gather. Thank you for the music you give us. Thank you for Chad and his team and, and uh, all the other stuff going on. Lord, Help us now to focus for the next hour completely on you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. And I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. Sing that again, my hope. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. Oh, Christ alone, cornerstone, weak made strong in the Savior's love, and through the storm, He is Lord, Lord of Darkness seems to hide his face. I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. Oh, my. 
A child is born to us, a son is given to us, the government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Let's sing a Christmas carol. If you guys just stand, sing it. You guys all know this song really well. Oh, come all ye
seated. I love that song. You know, so often we sing a song and we don't think about the words, but it's such a great song because it's inviting you to worship Him. It's inviting you to celebrate Him this season, and, and uh, I encourage you to do that. I encourage you not to let uh, grumpy people on CNN or Fox tells you that everybody hates Christmas. Don't believe them. I don't hate Christmas. You don't hate Christmas. I think there's like 12 people in the country that are mad, and they get all the press. And, uh, you know, if you go into a place and they say happy holidays and that makes you mad, just say Merry Christmas and we'll move on. You do not have to put your name at Starbucks as Merry Christmas. Oh, it's Merry Christmas here. (laughs) Nobody thinks it's that clever. Just enjoy yourself. Celebrate. The reason we have to celebrate this season is because even if it's the worst Christmas season you ever had, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ came and died on the cross for our sins and we go home 10 seconds after we die. So that makes it a good season. A wonderful season. Um, let, let's pray. Let's ask God to bless our children's programming as they're going on. And uh, they're doing some important stuff back there. So let's just lift them up. Father, I thank you for Alicia and her team that so faithfully serve you with our children on Wednesday nights and Sunday mornings. And Lord God, sometimes we just uh, send our kids on their way and we don't think about all those who are giving of their time and their energies to do that. Uh, they don't get to hear incredibly gifted preaching in here this morning. Lord, they're doing their own. So we pray you'd, you'd bless their efforts and give them energy. And I just pray that they would have an awesome time today. And I pray we would too. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah. See what I did right there? Yeah. Okay. I wanted to remind the Lord of how gifted I am. <laughs> I, I'd like for you as uh, we begin this morning to uh, look at a pretty traditional Christmas card on the screen behind me. Uh, I, I, I mean, this is, this is something that you might get in the mail from your insurance company. It's a sign you might see at the Gap. Um, and it's, uh, I, I want you to pay special attention to the words on it because it's a, it's a common theme. Um, the fact is that this peace on earth section of scripture, uh, which carries with it a great picture, you know, you got Mary and Joseph and the baby and the moon. Uh, and uh, just, just kidding, that's, that's the North Star. Um, it has wonderful sentiment from Christmas, and it quotes Luke 2.14. Um, with that in mind, before we look at that, I just want to remind you of the main purpose for why our daddy brings us together on a regular basis. Okay? Just, just for a second, I want you to follow my thinking. I want you to look with me at Ephesians chapter 4, 11 to 14. Uh, we've been looking at this the past few weeks. It says, now these are the gifts that Christ gave to the church, apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the body or the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's son that we will be mature in the Lord. What does that mean? It means we measure up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then... So this is the problem when you're not up to the full measure of Christ, verse 14. Then we will no longer be immature like children. For instance, we won't be tossed and blown around by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us, take a deep breath, with lies so clever, so beautiful, so attractive that they sound like the truth. Instead... We will speak the truth in love. This proclamation of the angel to mankind fits into the mojo of our holiday season. It fits into it. It it even makes it 
kind of religious. Put that uh, up there for me, Chris, if you wouldn't mind. It makes it religious. It puts Jesus back in the holiday, so we like it. We feel good about that. We like getting cards from people. We like getting cards from our insurance people. We like it. It makes us feel like we've done something good or we've received something good. We like the idea that, that this season is about peace on earth, something that everybody wants, peace on earth. But there's a problem with the picture. And most of you already know what the problem is. It's just not what the verse says. It's out of context. In fact, in Luke 2, 14, here is what it actually says. Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. That is a dramatic turn from the intention and the mojo of that card. The truth is, there is no lasting peace for those who are the enemies of God because of their sin. Oh, he's starting to sound Baptist in the Christmas season. Look, you need to understand that I am limited to talking to you about what the Word of God says. And the Bible actually says this in Romans 5, verse 10. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of His Son, what does that say? While we were still enemies, that's present tense. That means that at one point, Mark Wilkie was an enemy of God, and at one point he became the friend of God. Since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can, receive, we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because of our Lord Jesus Christ has made us the friends of God. We are made friends with God. We become the people upon whom his favor rests. It is those people who have peace on earth because of the birth of Jesus Christ. In Colossians chapter 1, verses 19 to 22, so you don't think I'm taking things out of Scripture, look what Paul wrote there. For God, in all his fullness, was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. Pause for a second. If we weren't broken in that, there would be no need for reconciliation. So before Jesus Christ, there's a brokenness. And it's through him that he reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. Please note, not by his birth. Take a deep breath. It is not by the birth of Jesus Christ that peace came into the world. It is by the birth of Jesus Christ that God made himself man and came into the world. And there's a difference. Look, I'm about to do a pastor thing, and it's going to be easy for you to zone out and go, oh, this is, uh, you know, you're just thinking too deeply. I just want you to know that Satan does his best work on the edges, he's not going to walk in here today with a red cape, red horns, and a pitchfork going, somebody follow me. Nobody would follow him. Half of you would pull out pistols and shoot him. <laughs> he's going to come on the edges, and he's going to get us to go, but that's so nice. It's so friendly. And if we think it's friendly, I, 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 I'm sorry, I, I use the same examples because I'm old now, and I, I've got some from a long time ago. But remember the show that came out, Touched by an Angel? Long time ago. See, you're as old as I am. Long time ago. For those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, just ignore it. But this show was so exciting to the church because it acknowledged that there were angels. So what? So does Ghost Adventures. We, we are so, our standards of truth, our hope in truth, our desire to be recognized has become so low that if anybody even mentions God, we get excited. And I want you to know that even deists will go to hell. People who believe in God still go to hell without Jesus. 
There is no peace in Jehovah God without Jesus. Even if you make the case that the God of Islam, Allah, Jehovah God of the Jews is the same God that we worship. They think there's a lot to that. They, they think we're, we believe in three gods because of the Trinity. But besides that, even if we were to agree today that we believe in the same God, please understand that even believing in the same God, even believing in the right God doesn't give you heaven if you reject his sacrifice. And the tendency, the danger is that we forget that we don't have peace with God without Jesus. Let me go on in Colossians uh, verse 21 says, this includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemy, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. So your actions and your thoughts made you an enemy with God. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ. Pause for a second. Not because you stopped sinning, not because you stopped having evil thoughts, but because Jesus Christ died and you accepted that gift. Now you are no longer his enemies. You have been reconciled to him through the death of Christ, in his physical body. As the result, he has brought you into his own presence, and you are holy, you are blameless, and you stand with, before him without a single fault right now. Despite what we wish to be true, now look, I'm, I'm actually, this is, that stuff is true, but that's not my message point this morning. I'm using this as an example of why, well, you'll, we'll get there. I, I usually give away the end of the story before. Today, I'm not going to do that. But despite what we wish was, and take a break. I wish that Christmas brought peace on earth. I wish that the jihadists would take the, some, the month off. I wish that everybody could just like each other. I wish police officers would stop giving tickets. I wish that, uh, that the Republicans and Democrats would get along because it's in the spirit of Christmas. I wish my neighbors would make me pies because it's Christmas. But none of those things are going to happen just because it's Christmas. I can wish for them. I can want them. I can even preach them. But it doesn't make it true. Truth exists. Jesus Christ didn't say, I'm truthful. I've told you before that I may say that Jeff Reich is truthful, but there's not anybody in this room who doesn't think he's never lied, except his wife. I mean, the fact is, even if he thinks he's never lied, and he passionately doesn't want to lie, the truth is that there's been times he's been wrong. And usually about my preaching. I'm better than he thinks. But the fact is that when you say somebody is truthful, you are not saying that they are never wrong. You are saying that for the most part, they're a truthful person. Jesus Christ never claimed to be truthful. He claimed to be true. And, and, and the danger and the risk of the world is we, we want to get along with people, whether they believe what we believe or not. We want to love them. We want to be loved by them. And so sometimes we change, distort, and only read portions of the scripture to make us feel better about ourselves so that we can be a little more friendly version of Christianity. And the truth is we need to be a friendly version of Christianity because Jesus came to seek and save the lost. We don't need to be jerks. There's no goal in that. We're actually told not to do that. But when they reject us because of the truth, there's nothing we can do about that. Except choose to change the truth. Except make up new truths that sound like truth, but they're actually a lie. We have been reconciled to God through Jesus. We went from enemies to friends. And despite what we wish, or our sentimentalities, or wishes, the biblical truth, according to God's word, which carries with it final authority on what is true and what is false. Final authority. It is important that we understand that even though sometimes some truths feel harsh, to call those who are not the children of God as a result of Christ's blood, 
not the children of God. That's another thing we do in the church. Well, we're all God's children. No, we're all God's creation. We're not even all God's children if we're children of Abraham. We are God's children if we have been adopted through the purchase of Jesus Christ's blood. Well, I don't want to exclude people. Well, the truth is you were excluded before you met him. You don't get to decide what's true. I don't get to decide what's true. The Bible is the final authority for what's true, whether people like it or not. And even if the whole church decides we don't like what God has to say, it doesn't change God. Did it change you as a parent? When your kids, all 18 of them, decided that you were a bad parent? Made you mad. You dug in. God doesn't do that. But truth is truth. He can't. New lesson, Sunday school teachers. God cannot do anything. You were told wrong. He can do anything but that which contradicts his character. He cannot make a rock too big that he can't lift it up. That was a seminary question. If God can do anything, well, the premise is wrong. He can't do anything. God cannot violate his own principles. God cannot save somebody who doesn't repent. God cannot violate his justice. He cannot violate his promises. That's why we have a security in our eternity if we've been saved. He can't unsave you even if he wants to because that would violate his character. These are all truths and sometimes we don't like to talk about them because they offend people. But not, not talking about them doesn't mean they're less true. And then the question is, how selfish are we? What are we serving him for? The biblical fact is that anyone who has not accepted God's gift to forgive their sins, Jesus Christ, are in fact his enemy. And this peace on earth thing that we love to hear and see, I, I get it. Touched by an angel. The movies that, that, that come out and they talk about God. I get it. I like them. They make me feel warm and fuzzy. But the fact is, Luke 2.14 still tells us who has peace on earth, and it isn't everybody. It's only those with whom God is pleased. And that's tough. That's really, really tough. It is the job of a pastor. It's the job of shepherds. It's the job of Bible study leaders and church leaders to make sure that we remind you to understand the difference between what we may wish was true, that feels or sounds true, or what culture may want us to believe is true, even some within Christendom who wishes the truth was different, versus what the scriptures actually teach us, whether we like it or not. And that's where we live today. That's where you live now. And that is a direct result and outgrowth now of the conversation of homosexual marriage in our culture. I'm not going to talk about that a lot, but what is now happening is because people are now meeting people that they love that are homosexual or sinners or whatever, whatever group they're in, we're trying to make certain sins okay because it sounds so mean for them not to be okay. Let me be clear. Anybody has the right to be gay that wants to. You, can be right, you have the right, if you can do it, to be gay and happy in this life. I know a lot of heterosexual marriages that are miserable. That's not the point. You may be better as a homosexual couple loving each other than heterosexual couples. The world may think you're amazing. And even some in the church may say, well, maybe we were wrong on what we understood from Scripture. But let me be clear. The church was never the judge in the first place. It's the Word of God. 
So whether it's homosexuality or adultery or maybe something that hits home a little bit closer, gluttony or gossip, the church has a tendency to overlook sins that we just kind of deal with. Oh, that's just Margaret. She's a little bit gossipy, but she does say bless your heart at the end. Whether the church accepts Margaret's gossip or not, it's still a sin. It should still be dealt with. And whether or not gluttony seems less impactful to the body life of the church than, say, adultery, I assure you it's the same sin. Just because you don't put illegal drugs in your vein doesn't mean you're not medicating your unhappiness. You see, the point isn't God didn't set up a list of rules to say, you know what, I really, uh, I really need to make up rules so that this religion thing can work out. Do you know why those things exist? So that you won't be satisfied in temporary satanic things. You know, if adultery wasn't fun, nobody would be doing it. Did you know that? If alcohol didn't offer something to somebody, nobody would be drinking if, if pornography didn't offer something, and for those of you who didn't, have never struggled with it, you're going, what can it offer you? Well, that's not your worry. It doesn't offer you anything. If gossip didn't make you feel better about yourself by tearing other people down, nobody would be gossiping. But the fact is, whether it works for you or somebody else, the truth is the standards are God's, and we've got to get back to it. And we can't go around. We have to identify. We've got to be smart and on our game enough to realize as believers that our mission here is to introduce people to the peace giver who are actually enemies of his now. It's not to necessarily list their sins, but to get them to understand they are, in fact, sinners. There was not peace on earth when Jesus was born. Ask all the Jewish mamas whose babies were slaughtered. Oh, I, I forgot that. And it wasn't peaceful for King Herod, who sent him to kill him. And it wasn't even peaceful for Mary, who has to have a baby in a stinking manger. Or then has to get up find housing, and then two years later actually run for their lives to Egypt because they're still being sought. I, I want you to understand that the lies may make it romantic, but it doesn't make it true. And God gave us this so that we stay on message. Because the Lord knows that somebody in this room, when we all start agreeing on the wrong thing, is going to stand up and say, I just have one problem. What about 2 Timothy 4? Well, we don't, we, we choose not to believe 2 Timothy 4. Okay, then, sorry about that, I'll sit down. I mean, God has given us three things, and I've been telling you this in recent weeks, and we're just starting. <laughs> Lucky for you. But we're just starting this. But I want you to understand that God has given us three tools to stay on message, to stay in the truth, and to stay on task in this life. Because the temptations are unbelievable to get off message, off task, and just forget what we're doing here. One is the Word of God. And you know what? You grew up with that. You grew up with pieces of it, let me say that. Like peace on earth. It's our job to fill in the gaps. But you have the Word of God. And there's not one of you in this room that doesn't have Google or couldn't figure out a way to find out what it says if you study. It, I, I got news for you. If any of you ever learn how to use Google, you're going to realize you can do this and I'm going to lose a job. It's out there on the internet. You've got to know who you're looking at, but you know what I'm saying. I mean, you've got commentaries. You've got the Word of God itself. If you'll take time to read it, it's right in front of you. So we got the Word of God. But there's a second thing he's been giving you, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's been giving you. He's called in the New Testament the Illuminator. 
and he gives you understanding of the scriptures. The problem with the Holy Spirit, and I say that carefully, is that now what's happening in the church are people are going, you know, I know that it says this is a sin, but gosh, I just don't feel like it, and I think that's the Holy Spirit. So the Bible is no longer our final authority. It's just something we think is authoritative until we feel differently. But because of those two things, that's why he gave us the third gift. And this third gift is what we're talking about right now because it's undervalued today in the life of a believer. And that's a church. The church. The church is the third gift God gives you to keep you on message and on task. Not because I'm a phenomenal preacher, although I am. I, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm really into myself this morning. But, but the fact is, it's not because of the preaching. It's not because of the elders. The reason the church is helpful is because of you. You talk, you go to Bible study, somebody says something off the wall and you invite them for coffee and you say, hey, can you explain a little bit more what you mean by that? And then they do and you go, you know, that's interesting, but let me show you what, you know, First Chronicles says. And you go back and you study it together and then you find out their problem. Do they believe the Bible's final authority or do they just want to believe whatever they want? Now we're at the real issue of discipleship, aren't we? Because I would argue that for most of, most of us, we don't really want the Bible to be final authority because it's kind of ugly in parts. There's things we don't understand. We understand the gospel. There's a lot of other hazy stuff out there that we as church Christians love to argue about. Like, for instance, tongues. Do you know who cares least about whether or not you speak in tongues? God. But I spent much of my upbringing debating that. And I had guys taking stuff out of context to prove to me that tongues was done for today. And now all of a sudden I have godly men and women in my life who speak in tongues. And you know what? I've never had that gift. But when we get to heaven, I've told you this before, I'm going to stand behind you in line, and if we find out you're not right, I'm going to laugh and make fun of you. The truth, the truth is predestination and election. It's not solved in Scripture. I believe what I believe because, of, because there's a lot of more Scriptures on one side than the other in my mind. But the truth is, if you believe in free will, that's fine as long as you believe in salvation through faith in Christ alone. You have the right to be wrong. So do I. But I'll tell you what we're not wrong on. I'm an enemy with God unless I'm saved through faith in Jesus Christ's blood alone. That's non-negotiable. We may wish it was negotiable. We may want it to be negotiable. We may even teach that it's negotiable. But it ain't negotiable. You may think Jesus Christ was just a good teacher that should be followed until you read what he said. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to my dad but through me. Which, by the way, is all they worried about then. How do I go to be with the Father? How do I get to heaven? How do I get to God? How do I get to the second resurrection? Jesus' answer was, I'm the way. Boop. Hey, I'm the way. I'm the truth. I am the life. And for those of you who think that's just one verse in the New Testament, Christians in the New Testament times were called followers of the way. You know why? Because Jesus said it all the time. The ultimate question, good rabbi. How does a man make his way to the Father? So those who believe were called people of the way. I encourage you not to go and study that. There's a religious group called Followers of the Way. It's called Armstrongism, and it's a cult. But it's our name. We're following the way. Why? Because it's what Jesus said. As we've said together in recent weeks, we kind of get the mojo of what the Bible says. We accept that the Holy Spirit is at work illuminating his word to us. Although we often use our feelings as a denial of the clear teachings of Scripture. Watch out for that. But we have to understand that 
that the church was given to us because this is so personal with God. He wanted us to spend time together talking about him, what we're learning, what the Holy Spirit is teaching us, what our role is in life, that we keep each other on target as we converse. And I challenge you now to think back over your church experience and realize how effective Satan has been in redirecting the program of the church to be centered on a guy like me. You see, we don't engage conversations anymore centered on the Word of God. We listen to what the preacher says, and then we just agree with him, or we leave the church. I want to challenge you for a second about how you'd look for a church if you were looking for one. You found one. This is the best church in the world. But having said that, if you're in, if you're in I, I know I'm, see, my back last week was out. I'm on, I'm on volume, and it's changing the way I see myself. Um, but but the, the fact is, the fact is, if you went on a church search, every one of us in this room, including probably my wife and I, would go and we'd find a church where the pastor teaches what we believe. Wait a minute. Maybe I'm wrong on stuff. What I should actually do is look for a church where a pastor preaches the word of God. I'm going to embarrass a friend. I was going to look for him this morning to ask permission to use this story. I've used it before, but I didn't get to, so he's going to have to forgive me in this season of peace. I remember when I first came to Carpenter's Way, and I had been here about six or seven months, and a gentleman by the name of Pete Smart came to meet with me. It's one of my all-time 33-year-old ministry uh, moments in my life. And Pete came into my office, and I, I'm just, uh, under, underneath this uh, safe preaching pulpit is kind of a nervous guy. I don't like to be told off. I don't like to be told I'm wrong. And I was preaching through Romans, and some of the things I said went against some Baptist doctrine, to be honest with you. And Pete came in and he sat down, and, and he may or may not remember this conversation, but his first question to me is, uh, Mark, I just, how you doing? You like life in Lovekin? And whenever somebody asks me how I'm doing and how my family is, I know I'm about to get nailed. <laughs> and I remember, so we talked for a few moments in Pete's professional way, and then he said, I got to tell you something. I don't necessarily like what you're preaching. That is what I expected. What I didn't expect is what he said next but you're opening the Word of God in a way that I haven't seen in a long, long time. I can't defend that you're not right, or I can't argue with you, so here's what I'm going to say. Go slow. You remember that, Pete? Changed my life, Pete. It was at that moment that I realized that the most important thing that I could do in this church isn't hang out with all of you all the time, but hang out with God a lot. That I could look and relook and relook again and relook again at what this thing says, so that when I'm that I can be as right as I can be, and then when I can't be right, and some of you pointed out that I humble myself enough to get up in front and say, I was wrong. Do you, do you remember? And I, it's happened a few times. For those of you who haven't been with us, there was one time, and I was, it was an exceptionally excellent message. And, uh, and uh, I, was, I, I, I grabbed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego out. Some of you guys remember this? And I was saying, God so protected them at that moment. Now, they could have died, but God in his sovereignty decided their time wasn't done. And oh man, was I, I was waxing eloquent. It was so good. And uh, I said, they didn't even smell like smoke when they got out. That's how protected they were. Right up until somebody came up about 30 seconds later and showed me that two verses later, it says that they smelled like smoke. <laughs> so, having said that, the fact is we're in this together. We're in this together. And when Pete came to me 11 and a half years ago and said that to me, it changed the game for me. I, uh, I make a good living as a pastor, and you take very, very good care of me. But I don't make enough to be wrong on your behalf. And you know, there's going to be times. Um, our last church, we grew. We, we were able to see it grow. Uh, it, it, huge. I'm not interested in that anymore. I want to know God. 
And I want to give you the tools to know God. And when I'm looking through 1st and 2nd Thessalonians and 1st and 2nd Timothy, I'm going, wow, we have lost our missional, our, our point, the mission statement, the vision. Listen to why. And, and, and I want you to listen to why Paul sent Timothy to the church of Ephesus when he writes 1st and 2nd Timothy. Look at this, 1st Timothy 1, 3 through 4. When I left for Macedonia, I urged you to stay there in Ephesus and stop those who were teaching contrary to the truth. Don't let them waste their time in endless discussion of myths and spiritual pedigrees. These things only lead to meaningless speculation. My goodness, all I can think about is, uh, is, is the debates we've had through the years that have no end. They just, well, I think this, and you think that, and then we go start our own church because we hate each other. This is exactly why Paul sent Timothy. These things only lead to meaningless sex speculations, which don't help people live a life of faith in God at all. The tendency of the church has always been to find spiritual heroes to follow rather than simply obsess over learning to listen to the very voice of God. It's so much easier. I remember my mom used to take me when I was a little boy to family bookstore. It was actually called Bible bookstore. And uh, we in San Diego, we would go there. My mom would often have backyard Bible clubs. And so we would go there. And you would walk through and you'd see all these Bibles and Bible study materials and all. I always loved doing that. There was listening stations where they had these things called records you could listen to. But, but I remember we would go in there. And I remember, I remember the, the, the time that the name turned from, from Bible bookstore to family bookstores and then transition. And now if you go even into uh, the Christian, you know, the... The, the Baptist bookstores or anything, you go in and they're really not Bible bookstores anymore. They're, they're, they're writings of people. And that's fine, I understand. But there's too many bloggers. There's just too many bloggers, too many Christian bloggers, there's too many people sharing their theological angles because it makes them feel good. We, we've turned this incredible technological era into a free-for-all of truth, and all you've got to do is Google the th- something question, the spiritual question, the way you want to Google the spiritual question, and you'll end up with whatever answer makes you feel good. And I've got to tell you, that is incredibly dangerous. I'm going to use Beth Moore because I'm a fan. Beth Moore is a Bible student. She is phenomenal in the Word of God, but you don't know Beth Moore. You don't run into her in the, in the mall. You don't run into her in Sam's. You don't see how she relates to her husband. You don't see how she relates to the elder board of her church. You don't know Beth Moore. You may like her theology, but you don't know her. And I got to tell you something. At the end of the day, it's not what you say you believe that matters. It's what you actually do. Because what you do tells you whose you believe in. You see, the church keeps thinking, well, I believe in this because I got saved at four years old in VBS. Hmm. So what church are you involved in? Oh, I don't go to church. I don't need all that. Wow, the Bible says if you hate his children, you don't know him. I mean, it's interesting how we've Christianized a moment in time without any expectation of transformation. And I'm here to tell you that if you have the Holy Spirit, you're going to be changed. It may not be a big change. Your fruit may be small and, and kind of gross, and it may be sinful, some of it, kind of tainted by sin. But I've got I to tell you something. If he's there, you can smell him. I like Beth Moore. I want you to read Beth Moore's stuff. But you don't know Beth Moore. And if tomorrow, Beth Moore says that God actually isn't God, he's a purple genie who lives on the moon, walk away. You really didn't know her anyway. You just like what she had to say. That's why God invented the local church, because you can watch these people. You can watch me. Don't watch close, it freaks me out. 
but you can watch the elders. You can watch your Bible study leaders. You can watch them interact with their spouse. Because at the end of the day, it's not what you say your values are. It's how you live that determines what you believe. If you actually believe that Jesus Christ came to save sinners and people are in need of saving, you're going to tell people about Jesus. Well, I I don't know how. I got news for you. If your neighbor was drinking rat poison and was about to die and you cared that they didn't die, you would find a way to wrestle them to the ground and get the rat poison out of their mouth. But we act like, well, I'm going to offend people. Of course you're going to offend people. They killed Jesus. That's the part of the deal. Jesus actually said, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. All those little boys in Jerusalem were slaughtered, Bethlehem were slaughtered because Jesus was born. Well, that was just happenstance. You don't think God knew that would happen? The Old Testament prophesied that the women of Jerusalem would weep. We have to understand that what was going on in, in, in Ephesus, why Paul sent him there is why we're here. Because there's so much out there that becomes attractive and we take a little bit of the truth and we add a lot of flesh to it and one thing goes to another and before you know it, we're lost in blah. We're just lost in good feeling stuff. You know, there's most of you in this room probably are laughing like I am. I I don't know about you, but even if I felt really bad about who became president, I as a man would be offended that they called me a snowflake. I I just can't. Isn't that what they're calling them now? That's the puppies. You know, they're having puppies and coloring things if you're hurting over the election. Snowflake, you haven't heard? Did you guys watch the news? You're not watching TV enough. That's the term, it's snowflake. It's just, you know, you're hurting. Hey, Buttercup, I'm sorry, this is hard. I mean, colleges have decided now that during finals week, um, this, this last month, it's finals week, kids are freaking out over finals, and so they're having coloring sessions. They're gonna open a room and they'll give you cupcakes and they will give you a coloring book. What the heck happened to manhood? <laughs> Meanwhile, I thought college was supposed to make a man or woman out of you. I thought you were supposed to lose sleep in a couple years of your life. That's part of the deal. Guess what, Buttercup? That's the rest of your life. <laughs> Seriously. Right. I, I don't care if you're a Democrat or Republican. If you own a business, you're not going to hire somebody who decides on Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday they don't want to cut, don't want to flip burgers because I just I don't know. I just, it was a cow, man. It was a cow. <laughs> I had a cow when I was. I'm just like, what? Just get back to work. <laughs> and so what we do is we deal with them as employees, like you should. I'm sorry, this job isn't for you. We kill and eat cattle. And what does society do? Society says, I got an idea. They're just hurting. Let's just give them money. I have an idea. Let them starve. Because that grows you up. It grows you up. Starving makes you hungry. Hungry makes, all of a sudden, your values change. Because you have to decide what really is real. And I got news for you. The church isn't desperate enough for the souls of the lost or our values would change. If we really believed that our neighbor was going to hell, if we really, really believed about it, if we really thought about it, it might change how we approach Christmas. It really might. The boss you don't like, that treats you badly, it might change how you approach them. You see, this is real. (laughs) This is real. That's how healthy I am now. I can jump up and down. It's real. This is real. It may not be the way you want it. It may not be the way you wish it was. But that didn't change. It's real. And all the peace on earth, little cards we send, doesn't change 
the fact that people hate each other. And they hated him. And Paul sent Timothy to Ephesus because this isn't new. It's been going around forever. The Jews did it in terms of marrying other nations. They were told by God, only marry within Judaism because I have a pure kingdom. I don't want to get into all that. It's not a prejudice thing. It was a king thing. But the Jews, they were scared of war with the others, the Canaanites, the Assyrians. So what do they do? They intermarry with them. When God said not to, why? Because they believed in their own ability to keep peace on earth more than they believed in God's plan. It's what we do. To the mother of Jewish boys two years and younger at Jesus' birth, it didn't mean peace, it meant death. To the disciples, it meant fear. To Mary and Joseph, it meant running for their lives and, being, uh, and raising their children in Egypt. Peace on earth that Jesus brought was the promised peace that God would bring to those who were reconciled through Jesus Christ, to the judge of judges. It's what would happen 33 years later. Jesus didn't bring peace. In fact, in a very rarely referenced path and passage in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus said these words, don't imagine that I came to bring peace to the earth. Uh-oh, put that on a Christmas card. I came not to bring peace, but a sword. I've come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And some of you are going, that just happens naturally. Your enemies will be right in your own household. If you love your father or mother more than you love me, you're not worthy of being mine. Or if you love your son or daughter more than me, you're not worthy of being mine. If you refuse to take up your cross and follow me, you're not worthy of being mine. If you cling, <coughs> excuse me, if you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. That's not that, that. That's not that. Jesus didn't teach that. Jesus taught peace with his father through himself. My job as your pastor your Bible study leader's job. All right, I'm rounding third here, so stick with me. I'm going to go fast. My job, your Bible study leader's job, your job, your task with each other as believers is actually to know why that isn't true and how to communicate what is true. And that to remind each other when we wish that that were true, that no matter how much we desire truth to be different than it is, it doesn't change the facts, and we might as well stay with the master of the universe. That's what we do. I'll say it again. There's only one peace on earth for those who ho whose hope, and it's found in those whose hope is beyond this life. Those who have firmly placed their trust in God and his plan for them here. And beyond that, they trust him to keep his promise even if their feelings say he may not. The fact is, like it or not, this life only uh, offers stress and fear even for the child of God, and we only find peace as we give it back to him. I'm going to tell you something It's going to be hard for me to tell because it's humbling. I almost died last night. I went to Dallas to work with my brother and do some leadership training uh, with an organization, and I was driving back about 5 o'clock last night, and I was going around the loop out of Nacogdoches, and I don't know what happened, but I went off the road and I, I, I totaled Julie's car. I, I just remember looking up, and I'm in that grass. You know how in East Texas you have about 25 or 30 feet of grass, and then a tree line, and usually property beyond that? I found myself in, in the grass. I, 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 I really don't know how or why. I just, I wasn't on my phone. I, I was just driving, and I must have looked down. I looked up, and, and uh, the, it was raining, and 
I looked up and there is grass and I decided, I looked in my mirror, there was nobody around, I'm going to do the NASCAR thing, you know, kind of turn it back to the road and try to get it straightened out and it didn't straight, I hit mud, ran over three large trees and ended up in a tree. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm fine, I'm a little bruised where the uh, seat belt went. Uh, I was surrounded by smoke and airbags coming out. I tell you what, those Japanese can sure make airbags. They came out of everywhere. I'm <laughs> and the uh, fire department came, and I'm sitting at the side of the road. <laughs> you got to be kidding me. And I had to make a call to Julie and to Anna. And, uh, I don't know why God did that last night, but it's his to do. Seriously. If I spend the rest of my life making peace with my neighbors without God, and I die before telling them the rest of the story, then I have wasted all those years. They need to know about Jesus. Well, they don't want to hear. Then love them. Love them. You don't know what tomorrow carries. And I've got news for you specific about Carpenter's Way. If last night I would have been ejected from the car and died, you would have been fine today. Because you have leaders in this church that are committed to the Word of God. Don't get me wrong, you would have missed me bad. <laughs> but... But I'm telling you, you are healthy today and safe because we have men and women of God in this church, from our elders to our deacons to our Bible study leaders, who have one core value, and that is the Word of God. And that is getting lost out here. But it's not lost here, and it is your job to keep us on task. You are the future of Carpenter's Way, and it has to be the ruler of God's Scripture. How we program it can change. What we believe never changes. Of course. I don't know why God does what he does in this life. I don't know why all those babies had to die when he was born. I don't know why Mary and Joseph had to live the first seven or eight years of their life in Egypt as aliens. I don't know. I don't know why when they started heading back uh, to Bethlehem, God the Father said, I want you to go to, to go to Nazareth. I don't know. I don't know why Trump's president. I don't know why people kill each other. I don't know why jihadists want us dead. I don't know why unsaved people don't want to know our God. I don't know that, but I know who God is. And that's why we get together. Because we're not supposed to know everything. But we do know God. We're not supposed to understand why one person gets cancer and another person lives to 104 when they smoke like a smokestack. We're not supposed to know all that. I don't get it either. But I know God. I trust Him. I trust Him. If you trust him, he changes your life. Listen, 1 Timothy 3, or uh, 1, 3 to 7. When I left Mas for Macedonia, I urged you to stay there. I, I want you to see that this isn't new. I urge you to stay there in Ephesus and stop those who are teaching, whose teaching is contrary to the truth. Don't let them waste their time in endless discussions of myths and spiritual pedigrees. These things only lead to meaningless speculations which don't help people live a life of faith in God. The purpose of my instruction is that all believers would be filled with love that comes from a pure heart, a clear conscience, and a genuine faith. But some people have missed this whole point. They have turned away from these things and spend their life in meaningless discussions. Oh my gosh, we could shut down about half the seminaries if we listen to this. They want to be known as teachers of the law of Moses, but they don't know what they're talking about, even though they speak so confidently. There's too many bloggers, my friends. There's too many of you reading their blogs. Read the Word. 
when you read your blogger that you love. Go to the word in the chapter before and after and make sure what they're saying is truth. Peace on earth is only upon whom God's favor rests. I may wish there was peace on earth for everybody, but it doesn't change that. It actually answers why there's not. People should be asking, you know why people don't believe in Christianity, the truth? Because we lie all the time. There is not peace on earth except upon those whom God favor rests. And even our lives are hard, but we have peace with not God, knowing that our daddy is in control. Too many bloggers, they speak to us a new doctrine that sounds like a new way to look at the old doctrine with verses that have no respect for context of Scripture. Verses like peace on earth, leaving out the rest, because, well, it's a little bit exclusive. There were too many wannabe teachers of the law in Ephesus, so Paul sent Timothy, and there's too many bloggers today. So he sends Tim to shepherd him, to tell him the truth. And throughout this letter, you're going to see him keep saying to him, stay with the message, stay with what I taught you. In fact, Timothy, I'm so serious about this that if I come back and I teach you something other than I've taught you before, don't listen to me. If an angel floats down from heaven, don't listen to them. Keep going, Timothy. Keep with the message in season and out of season because it's the message that's true. Side note, Bible study leaders, from children up, it is your responsibility to know what the Word of God says. There's no excuse for you doing your study on Saturday night when Sunday morning's closed. I love you. I'm thankful for you. You are doing an amazing job. You need to do better. Our flocks depend, the people around you depend on you knowing not what Mark writes or what your Bible study teacher teach, uh, their Bible study material writers write. They need to know what you believe about the scriptures and why. Just because you don't have this pulpit doesn't mean you are not under the same standards as this pulpit. Know the word. Know the God of the word. Share when you're wrong. Share what you know and share what you don't know. Keep them on course. No lazy grabbing discussion guides on Sunday mornings hoping just to get through it. Paul's clear vision statement for his own ministry among Christians is found in 1 Timothy 1.5. The purpose of my instruction is that all believers would be filled with love that comes from a pure heart, a clear conscience, and a genuine faith. But some people have missed the whole point. I, I'd say I, I think that most Christian shepherds, whether vocational or not, actually don't know what the goal of their ministry is. Sunday school teacher, Bible study leader, child teacher, VBS teacher, parent, do you know what your task is, spiritually speaking, with your child? With your flock? Paul just gave you his. Steal it! Raise your kids not to be good Texans. Raise them to be the children of God. Our mission is to help God's kids Understand that we are so privileged to serve a living God who took us from enemy to friend and be filled with love that comes from a pure heart, a clear conscience, and genuine faith. That is our mission. I'm about to wrap up, so I, I want you to understand something that my brother and I have been talking about and we're trying to teach leaders. Boy, is it true in the church. Most of us grew up in churches that wanted us to do what's called aligning with what we believe. They want you to know that Jesus was born of a virgin and they don't have time to tell you why that matters. 
They want you not to go to movies that are more than rated PG, but they don't really have time to teach you values that make you make those decisions on your own. We just wanted you to do what you should do because Christians do that. You know what I'm talking about? Don't dance, don't chew, don't smoke. And we never ask why, because if you did, you'd be slapped down. We got people, for the most part, to align to the Ten Commandments. We got them to align. That means, okay, I won't commit adultery. Okay, I won't look at porn. Okay, I won't beat my wife anymore. And I'll treat people of color nicer. We, we align. The problem is, God doesn't want you to align. He wants you to be attuned with him. This is a word my mother, brother made up. It's a musical word, but it's really impacted me the last couple of weeks. Attunement means you have all the instruments playing from the same notes. It's not that they're looking. It's not that they're looking. If we, we took Annie to the symphony for her birthday. And when, and when we were, um, yeah, she's that kind of person. She's going to be a CPA and a symphony fan. Oh, great. Boy, is that going to fit my journey-laden birthdays. But we're, we're, we're sitting there, and they start tuning, and I'm making stupid jokes like I always do, like, wow, are they bad. You know how they tune everybody at the same time? You know, they all have sheet music. You know that, right? Every one of the 150 instruments on the stage have sheet music. Can you imagine if they all played one note off? They could make the case, excuse me, orchestra director, I'm playing the music. But if you're playing one note off, it's ugly. That's why the church is ugly. Because we got everybody pretty much attuned or aligned, but everybody's playing off tune because they're not in love with the creator. The reason you do or don't do things is not because your pastor told you or your Sunday school teacher, it's because you need to be in love with Jesus. Because you believe that without him, there's no peace. There's no hope. There's nothing. That there may be a little bit of wealth, and there may be a bigger house, and there might be a nice car, and maybe even a better-looking spouse. But there is not peace on earth. You want to give peace to your neighbors this Christmas? Go ahead and make them a cake. But you offer them Jesus. He's our only hope. And the world, and Satan, and even some in the church want you to think. They want you to think that it's all about Christmas music and peace. It's not. It's about a Savior. And to realize you need a Savior, you've got to realize you need saving. And to realize you need saving, you've got to admit you're a sinner. And to tell other people that, you can't forget you're a sinner too. We're no better than any of them. We've just been redeemed. And I have a problem with my microphone, my brand new microphone. It's over both ears. Some of you are going, he's being silly right now, and that's an intense ending. You know why I'm being silly? Lighten up. It comes natural when you're walking in God. Take a breath, friend. Just give him Jesus. Person who cuts in front of line at you at J.C. Penney. I don't shop at J.C. Penney. Target. Don't go there either. They have transgender bathrooms. Okay. Wherever it is you go. Give him Jesus. When the cop gives you a ticket for almost killing yourself, $200 of joy. <laughs> Thank you for doing your job, officer. Merry Christmas. Oh, I hate you so much. It's life. <laughs> yeah. Seriously. It's life. But God brings peace upon those who is his favor and Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Keep us on message. Keep us on task. 
keep us addicted to you and truth and running from the myths and the pedigrees and the noise that we just continually debate. I pray that you would help us to give them you for Christmas. In Jesus' name, amen. Bible study will start in about five minutes. God bless you.